And I want every woman out there in the crowd and across the world to know that Jesus is available to offer you that same healing and redemption. That if this is part of your story, it's not the end. You are not defined by having made that choice. That's the voice of Stephanie Atkins, who courageously shared her testimony at a Virginia March for Life rally. She told us how school officials facilitated her abortion, even helping to pay for it, when she was a young teen. But God turned those ashes of regret into beauty. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, hello, everyone. I just want to start out by saying that the day that this podcast is aired is one of our very favorite days of the entire year. It is Pro-Life Day. Victoria, tell us why this day is so important to you and, you know, what all happens on this day. Yeah, it's a fantastic day where we bring thousands and thousands of Virginians out to the Capitol um, to stand up for the unborn. And there's a variety of sort of what that looks like throughout the day. So in the morning, people are um, meeting with their legislators. So they're actually talking to the people that make decisions around abortion law. And it's incredibly powerful. These legislators need to be reminded about how many pro-lifers are actually out there and that they're that they matter. We're not Especially, going away. Yeah, we're not going away. Some little, one little election loss here or there is not going to change the position that we take and our defense for the unborn. So I think it was maybe more important this year than ever that this advocacy mm -hmm. happens. And then, of course, there's a rally um, down, you know, we gather and we kind of get to hear from speakers and it's kind of the pump you up before yeah. you then go and actually go on the march around the Capitol. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty awesome day. All right. Well, tell us why this year's event is so important with the battles going on right now on life in our culture and in the state. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone can look around and nationally see that we have a challenge on our hands. We've seen in many states struggles with abortion ballots and those kind of things and um, various elections and how abortion is played in. But in Virginia in particular, I would say this, that it was a abortion was a huge component of our last election. And this legislative session, we have just seen um, some of the worst legislation around abortion we could ever imagine. So I think um, there were years where we just knew, look, we want to limit abortion to not be so late in the trimester, even if we can't get it completely to the point where we value human life the way we want to in Virginia. But now we're at the point where we're actually trying to defend Virginia from, from not just whether Virginians have abortion in Virginia. We're really trying to defend and protect Virginia from becoming the place where people go to have abortions. And even one step further this year, where doctors are essentially sort of like, it's like a safe haven for go ahead and prescribe pills into Texas or other places that have done a better job of mm -hmm. uh, protecting human life. So, I mean, it's almost like I don't want Virginia to become the abortion capital of the United States. And yeah. I honestly feel like that's kind of their aim with the legislation this year. Yeah. So it's appropriate that we are circling around the Capitol, marching around the Capitol, that we're kind of claiming that territory in essence, saying we want to protect life here. Yeah. And, I mean, yes. just short of the trumpets. I mean, I'd like to see the, yeah. <laughs> the wall come down. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're, we've got some real challenges. And I think being visible and being audible in this case. Lots of yeah. it's very fun. People chant and I mean, it's a, it's a really festive <laughs> kind of march also. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important this year. Yeah, and we have several of our speak up teams all across the state really mm -hmm. having a bigger presence this year. So it's definitely going to be fun. Now, just to kind of celebrate this event, we are going to bring you some March for Life highlights today. Now, we didn't quite have, you know, the audio from today's speeches, the ones that were happening today when we're airing this. So we're going to let you listen in on 
uh, last year's speaker. So Attorney General Jason Mieres blessed us with his presence yes. at the march, gave a wonderful speech. You're going to hear that also at just very moving testimony given by a courageous woman about having an abortion and um, her regret over that and how God has um, helped her walk out of that in her life. And so those are some of the things we're going to be bringing you today. But before we jump into that, just highlight some of the speakers actually, you For know, that are going to be in today's yeah. event. Yeah. So um, we're excited. So last year we had the attorney general speak. This year we're having uh, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears is, this, is is speaking at the rally, and she's just so courageous. So that's awesome. Um, also president of Liberty University, Dondi Costin, and um, we've already had him at our pastor's uh, event, so we knew he was going to be a powerful voice. Um, also, Bishop Wooden. Now, so folks might not know that name, but um, if you paid attention to our March for Life or times that we've aired speeches of his, um, he was such a highlight yeah. of the previous year. He had to come back this year. I mean, it was just okay. too good not to. He is the one that gave us the anthem, Let the Baby Live. Yeah. That's what sticks in my mind. Probably in the minds of <laughs> yeah. most. He's got a powerful, powerful voice and just a bravery around yeah. the issue. All right. Well, since we're on life, you know, I know I said we're going to feature a few highlights, but I do want to give you the chance to give a few updates going on in the uh, legislative session that are, you know, timely. Um, since we're on life at the moment, what is happening with the physician-assisted suicide? Yeah, sure. So um, this has been a bill we're very concerned about this year. There's actually a House version and a Senate version. We've been extremely concerned um, because some of the ones who had stopped this from passing in previous years actually are gone. And so we didn't know what it looked like. So we have some hope on this front. Um, we have had one version of it's the, um, the House version actually went through committee, looked like it was on track to kind of fly through, and it got to the House and it it actually was pulled, which usually means that the Democrats who are spearheading this didn't have enough votes to pass it. That's usually what that means. So that version is dead. That doesn't mean we don't still have a Senate version because they basically come through each chamber mm -hmm. and then they cross over, which is why we kind of talk about crossover week. So they crossed over and we're hoping usually that means it's going to meet the same fate as the House bill because it goes okay. to the same committee and then it goes to the floor. And so we're assuming um, that it should follow the same path. But we tell people we do not give up. We do not assume anything. No. So usually that's the case. We're still putting pressure on every single member of the House of Delegates to make sure that we lock in enough votes to oppose this so that they have to pull the measure again and it's dead for the year. So bottom line, be encouraged. Your voices are making a difference. It looks like even some Democrats are having second thoughts on this. So that's good news. But at the same time, don't give up. Right. Keep talking to them. We need to keep the pressure on. So there's some other topics that are interesting going through. Um, you mentioned to me this crazy bill that would actually require everyone to fill out government forms a certain way. Tell us about that. Yeah, they're trying to add this idea that there is such a thing as a non-binary person. I, I contend that you're born male or female, and um, but they're trying to basically put this checkbox. You know, you do all these, whatever your forms may be, any, any interfacing with the government, your driver's license, which we do have in Virginia, unfortunately, but every single form where it would ask for gender, they want to have this X as an option, which would be for this non-binary option. And the bill actually failed. So one, one what we would call bad idea, um, actually didn't progress. And honestly, some of these forms, your actual biology matters. When you're talking about health things, like what you were born as, what your physical body is, does matter. And so I really well, am concerned yeah. when we start making it like whatever's in your mind, put that on the box. No. Okay. 
my question is, if you start dealing with driver's license type stuff, what about security? Because that'd be a really easy way to slip yeah. through. I'm so, just going to put non-binary and then, you know, no one knows what I'm supposed to look like or I can kind of adjust. You know, yes. that's just crazy. Yeah. That, so it's a, it's a real challenge. And I think some forms are even more problematic than others. And they were trying to do this across the board with kind of every government form out there. And thankfully, that is dead. All right. Well, there's one other one I just wanted to give you the chance to talk about, and that gets into the area of our teenagers um, being able to give permissions for things, right? Yeah. Tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, we are constantly battling this idea that um, the it seems like liberal legislators want to treat our children as if they are, no matter what their age is, sometimes that they're these competent adults that make mature decisions all the time, and we know that's not true. And so they had a bill in there that said if you're 16 and a doctor wants to deem you mature, whatever that means, very undefined um, thing, then you could basically um, block your parent of being involved in your mental health decisions and your records. And so, again, we want nothing that blocks out parents. Um, so we were pushing very hard, and that bill has died. So we're pleased. That is just really hard to believe that we're actually at a point where that's up for discussion. Oh, I, I mean, I mean <laughs> keep in mind, they want gender changes at, at whatever age. they want. I mean, I, do, I think there are really people who, if the kid wants something that liberals applaud, yeah. then it doesn't matter if they're not mature enough and they're going to regret it. And we know, we know that there are so many regrets around things like transitioning. And certainly mental health is a scary space, meaning that's an, if you're seeking mental health, you're like, if you need a counselor there, you got something going on that's very serious. That's when you need a parent. That's exactly when you need a parent. So that's interesting because this trend of replacing the parent. So if it's, is it government in this case with this bill or is it just the... the uh, it could be private. What, who, yeah. Who's becoming the parent in that case? Yeah, I, I think in, in many ways they want kids to be able to trust the medical community over the parent. Mm -hmm. And so that's what would happen in this case is that the medical community would get to make the decision over your own child. Again, we love our doctors just like we love teachers mm -hmm. when we say, hey, let's not step in between the parent and the child. We love our doctors, but... The parent is the one that is there for a lifetime, that loves mm -hmm. that child in a way that no medical professional, no counselor mm -hmm. can ever replicate. Yeah. After whatever they do medically. Exactly. That's we where that goes. We have to live with the results. Yeah. Also, we pay the bills. I'm just right. speaking for parents that's that are paying the bills. that's where they go with the trauma or anything else that <laughs> results back to their family. Yep, that's right. All right. Well, with that said, hopefully that brings you up to speed to know what to pay attention to. We highly value you responding to our action alerts. If you're not already signed up, please do make sure you're getting our alerts at familyfoundation.org slash alerts. Um, but let's go ahead and watch some good news. Let's listen to our attorney general talking about how life is beautiful. It is amazing to be here. I want to first of all thank all the students. You truly are the pro-life generation, so thank you for being here. I want to thank all the crisis pregnancy centers that have been attacked, both verbally and sometimes physically. Thank you for what you do standing in the gap. You know, you live in a remarkable time when you have a United States Senator, Elizabeth Warren, who said we should literally shut down every crisis pregnancy center in this country. And I guess my message for her is, if you try to do that in Virginia, I'll see you in court. But I'd like to share with you all a very personal story. Uh, first time I've ever shared this publicly was when I visited at First Care Woman's Health in Manassas. I was a young man, 25 years old, living in Richmond, and I got a phone call from my cousin, Louisa. I didn't grow up with sisters. 
So my cousins, she was my first cousin, they were like my sisters. And she called me up and she said, cuz, I'm pregnant and I'm scared. She was just a year out of high school. And tragically, it's too often the case, her boyfriend didn't want the baby. And she didn't know where to go. So she drove up to see me in Richmond. She lived in North Carolina. She stayed with me on my couch. We had a lot of late night conversations about life. Her problem was so many of her friends were telling her to end the pregnancy. At the end of the day, she gave one of the most beautiful gifts, one of the bravest gifts a young woman can ever give. She gave the gift of life. And then she gave away that beautiful gift, that little boy named Nathan, to a loving family that could give that young boy a life that she couldn't. Tragically, a number of years later, Louisa got diagnosed with breast cancer. And after a very difficult struggle, she passed. I got to speak at her funeral. And I talked about her legacy. And her most amazing legacy was the fact that she gave away her young son, Nathan, to a new family to raise him. And I was able to share the bravery that she showed. After the funeral, I was at the reception, reminiscing about Louisa's life, in which I got a tap on the shoulder. I turned around, there was a young man standing there, and he said, hello, I'm Nathan. That was the first time I got to meet him. He's a remarkable young man. He's now studying to his goal is to be an EMT so he could save life. When I was inaugurated last January in the steps of Mr. Jefferson's Capitol right there, I had Nathan there on those steps behind me to remind me of the incredible brave choice Louisa made. Thank you for everyone that is here standing up for dignity. We also just heard recently, right before me, that remarkable story from Stephanie, what she went through. I also want to be, be clear as, as the pro-life message is one of compassion. And there have been some voices in this country saying we should prosecute women who make the decision to have an abortion. That is not right. Yeah. I, can, I can tell you that I believe in protecting babies and women no matter what choices they make. And I agree with the March for Life, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, Susan B. Anthony List, the Virginia Society for Human Life, and so many other pro-life organizations that we should not punish and prosecute women seeking abortions. We need to focus on supporting those charities and groups that work with those struggling mothers every day, those, those volunteers that stand in the gaps exactly like those crisis pregnancy centers, those quiet heroes that every day do so much they don't get the recognition they deserve. In my office, in the Attorney General's office, I have a sign. And anybody who's in the House of Delegates, which I used to serve, 
remembers this sign. It was a sign we put on our desk when there was a vote up on a bill, a late-term abortion bill. And it was a sign that every member in our caucus put forth. And it says just three simple words that I think sums up why we're here today. Life is beautiful. That's why we're here. Thank you all. It's an honor to be your Attorney General. God bless you. I mean, what a powerful... What a powerful talk. And it's powerful because he has a personal experience with um, his cousin. And I think many people, I mean, have been touched by abortion. And I think that's what it goes to show. I mean, you can be the attorney general, but you still very much are touched by this issue. And I think just this beautiful story of this, you know, young high school girl caught in a situation that she was not planning and didn't expect and him helping her through that. I mean, what a beautiful thing. And so it is great to know that some of our legislators and elected officials are, um, they're not just making policy decisions. They actually have, have real world um, connections to the issue, which gives them the passion, but also the insight to know how we can best help these young gals. Exactly. It was so encouraging. And I also just wanted to mention that he, if you were paying attention, you might have noticed him mentioning a woman named Stephanie. And this was just a very courageous woman who spoke right I think it was right before him at that March for Life and she gave her testimony about how she was kind of led into this decision to have an abortion you know we were talking about teens and where they're at with their mind and she, you know she was 17 and didn't really have the full picture of where she was at and what she was going through and we're gonna just hear her talk about that for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When I was 17, I found out I was pregnant and I had just moved to a new state. I didn't really know anybody. So I wasn't sure that I could go and talk to my parents. I just felt so much shame and I didn't want to disappoint them. So I went to my high school guidance counselor and he directed me to an abortion clinic outside of the state I lived in. Because at the time where I lived, you were required to be 18 or have parental permission to have an abortion. So he let me use the phone in his office. He allowed me to cash a check out of school funds to pay for the abortion. He excuse me from school and on May 1st, 1998, I drove across state lines to have an abortion. If I had known then what I know now, I would have made a different decision. It is one that I re regret every day and it has affected my life every day since then. I experienced um, a lot of depression and anger and hatred towards God because I thought that this was something that God had allowed to happen. But in reality, it was a choice that I made and brought upon myself. And so I was angry at myself. But God, he sent his son to earth to become the great redeemer for us all. And so 
even though I experienced a great amount of depression and I did everything I could to basically kill myself without actually doing that through um, drugs and alcohol and promiscuity, really just to numb the pain and so I could function in everyday life with the guilt that I was feeling. God was there alongside me every step of the way. He made sure that I knew that he was there and that when I was ready to reach out to him, he was there with open arms for forgiveness and um, healing. And I want every woman out there in the crowd and across the world to know that Jesus is available to offer you that same healing and redemption. That if this is part of your story, it's not the end. You are not defined by having made that choice. I also want you to know that laws um, make it possible for people to get the abortions, you know, come to different states. We, I live in Tennessee, and so we have people coming from Tennessee into Virginia to seek abortions. And it's the job of legislators to help young women and girls um, make the correct decision by making laws that prevent them from being able to do that. So thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. I love both the Attorney General's story and what Stephanie shared because it's such a great reminder of why it is essential that in this movement, as we are fighting this battle to protect life in this country, it's absolutely essential that we do come alongside the women that are experiencing these a crisis in their life or even pressure from others or even just feeling alone. Um, that they are hearing these lies that there's not another choice or that their life is not going to be fulfilling, just whatever it is, you know, we, we got to remember, I don't think we can win this battle if we do not consider the woman as part of the equation. And these are great reminders of that. Oh, I think it's 100%. And I think that is why, you know, people think of the, the pro-life movement as there's the, the policy side, which is a lot of what we talk about. We got to change the laws. And, and there's the servicing side, the caring for women side. And honestly, like when we do our march, like, you know, one of the speakers we included this year was Toby DeBoss. Why? Because he has one, one of the largest pregnancy care centers in Virginia because he, they are the ones ministering directly and resourcing these women. But also in our personal lives, I mean, this is the point. Everybody interfaces with people who come into situations that they aren't planning particularly pregnancy and um, you just never know when you're going to be called on to do that extra thing I was with somebody the other day who was talking about how important it is that people are willing to say hey I've got an extra room to house someone who's pregnant that is apparently a real need out there and there's probably a lot of people that really never thought about I could offer my guest room or my room above the garage or whatever but Mm -hmm. if those resources are available and and the right people know about them we can really connect dots for women who think i have no housing i have to have an abortion right Mm -hmm. that's that's where those things come in but there is also the policy side that we do which is you know in stephanie's story this idea that a guidance counselor or a school person of any sort is sort of gearing someone towards abortion that shouldn't be allowed right she's a minor like that there's a there's a legal piece of that Mm -hmm. right so it's kind of a both and all the time um we need both sides of this. And you saw in their stories both the good and the bad side of that because like you're talking about needing to personally be in their lives. You saw the attorney general had that moment right. in a good way, redemptive way, 
But in Stephanie's way, there was someone that sent her down the wrong path. And she talked about, you know, it didn't make her life better. She was still dealing with the fallout from that for years. So I just really appreciate what you're saying. And this battle is worth fighting for both the mom and the baby. So thanks, everybody, for keeping up the battle with us, not giving up, persevering in all of this. We are so blessed to have all of you, your support on a day-to-day basis, and your perseverance in speaking to your legislators. Thank you so much. And with that said, thanks for joining us for another episode of Speak Up Virginia.